Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ah, welcome to the Believe in Pit Football pro- Podcast presented by Bet Online. I am one of your hosts, Dorn Dickerson, alongside former All Big East quarterback Bill Stahl and Jerry DePaula of the Tribune Review covers Pitt is the beat writer for the Tribune Review. Uh, Scott McKillop, he was an All-American at Pitt, but he couldn't make it tonight. So we substituted him for another Scott. Scott Orndorff joins us on the Believe in Pitt football podcast, former tight end of the University of Pittsburgh from 2013 to 2016. Scott, we'll start it off with you, man. How's everything going? Uh, it's going pretty well. You know, the transition from football to um, the real world, as I would say, is it was interesting. It was, you know, I, I went back and forth on what I wanted to do. Um, and ultimately, I settled on what my original goal was. Um, I'm a police officer um, in a township just about out by the airport. Um, I live in the West Allegheny School District. It was worked out nicely because my um, that's your alma mater, which is nice. And uh, my wife's a teacher there, so it you know worked out real nice. But I'm really enjoying it. I love my job. Um, I th- I wasn't sure how much I'd miss football when I left, but it worked out good enough where I really I miss it, but I don't miss it. I don't miss the the wear and tear of my body that I was getting and seeming unnecessarily in the end. And you know I'm just enjoying it. I'm walking away from football. It's when I left the NFL, you know, I'm sure as you know, and Bill, you, you experience when you're on all these teams, and you get cut, you kind of, you get a little jaded from football and you don't really, I, I, it was hard for me to watch it as a fan at first and really enjoy it for what it was. And I'm finally, this year was the first year I've been watching, especially professional games and been able to really enjoy, you know, looking forward to the games on Sunday. So I'm, I'm in a good place now compared to where I was, you know, when I first got out of football a year prior from now. Yeah, and uh, you know it does leave a sour taste in your mouth. Whatever, whenever you get out of the game, it does. It's like, wow, I can't believe it. It's ending, and you just you you play football your whole life, and you think you're going to play forever, and just one day it does end. But Jerry, did you hear what he said? You, did you pick up on what Scott said? Now I know Scott is the pride of Seton LaSalle High School as well as Bill Stahl, both Seton guys. But he did throw out one of the best high schools in Western PA. No, he works in the area of West Allegheny, where a lot of great football players went to high school there. I'll just leave it at that. Scott lives, <laughs> works in, in West Allegheny School District. Um, you know, just being able to stay home, how, how did that feel for you? Uh, you're obviously talking to two and whatever Scott would be on. He uh, obviously is a hometown kid, too. You know, Bill from Seton LaSalle, myself from West Allegheny, you from Seton LaSalle. What did that mean to you to stay home and go to the University of Pittsburgh? Um, it was big, you know, because one thing my, my family was so supportive with my playing career and they made a lot of sacrifices for me to go to high school, um, a little further away from where I live, kind of the same way, um, Bill did, but it was huge because every single game, I don't think my, my parents didn't miss my thing. My mom missed one away game. My parents didn't miss a single game of my college career and every single home game. I knew I was going to get to see them plus other family members I had and just being able to have that support system. not too far away from anything I needed. So I I didn't look at colleges intending on staying close to home. It just kind of worked out that way. But I was really thankful in the end that that's that's what I got to experience. 
Scott, I think I remember the day you committed to Pitt. Would uh, you commit it at a camp uh, over, over the summer? No, it was um, it was during spring practice because I never actually went to a camp at Pitt. I went to my whole high school career. I went to one camp. It was at Wisconsin, and when Chris was there, and I got offered from that camp, and, and then I committed a couple months later. I never actually went to another. I went to a spring practice in March. That was it, then. And and, 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 and after. Yeah, I, w- I visited Michigan one weekend, and I decided after that visit I was going to go to Pitt. And the very next day, I went to a spring practice and committed after practice. I remember, I remember talking to you at that at that practice. What year was that? Really, 2013. That was maybe? 2000. No, that was 2012. 12? Yeah. Okay, and then I remember calling you on the phone because I heard oh, Scott Orndorff just committed. You better call him up. So I got you on the phone. I think while you were driving home, my memory. Probably, yeah. probably, yeah. What a, what a day, huh? You know that got to be. Yeah, it was. Crazy. It was cool because my my I think they had to know something was up because my entire family. I got a big family. My entire family was at that practice. All seven oh, yeah. of us. We were all at that practice. So yeah, it was a good day. Wow. So I I got to chime in here about uh about something that Pitt fans might not know about. I I call him Scotty because I could say I I can call him Scotty because I coached him. I coached him at Seton. I remember those days when Scott was a freshman towering over everybody and pretty much looking at me eye level. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, like the size of this kid, what position, you know, is is he going to play? He's our next quarterback. Bill, coach him (laughs) up, get him ready to play quarterback. And then he literally grew another inch or two and put on more weight, meaning muscle, because that's all this kid is, is muscle from head to toe. And then he went from – from my individual drills and practice at, at uh, quarterback and then pretty much too big to be a high school quarterback and then started transitioning to, you know, tight end, slot, receiver, and all that, all that good stuff, which made him obviously more, uh, more sexy for a, a, uh, another adjective type word to, to get him to the next level in college. Uh, so just seeing the progression of, you know, seeing Scotty, you know, Orndorf, Orndorf coming in uh, as a young buck at, at Seton LaSalle and then literally growing as a man child uh, throughout high school and watching him progress and going going to Pitt obviously was was amazing to see. Uh, super excited to have you on, buddy. Uh, I know we're going to be going to be jumping into another segment. Uh, Doran, I'll, I'll let you take take it away with that, buddy. Could I ask Scott one question real quick, if you guys don't mind? Ahead. Absolutely. Uh Scott, one thing I've always wanted to ask you, recruits, when you, when you commit to a school and you're being recruited by a lot of schools with, the, you know, 15, 20 offers, how many of those other, off, other schools do you call? And, and what do you say to them? So when I committed, um, I don't think I actually called anybody. The ones that really were interested in me, they called me and they weren't too happy about it. And they just seemed kind of dumbfounded, like, oh, I thought we had something good. And then I actually received, not hate mail, but I received some more, like, I give recruiting letters from other schools kind of bashing Pitt and this and that and saying how their school would be better. And it lasted for a little bit, but I had to have a few rough conversations on the phone and for, you know, a 17, 18 year old kid, that's weren't easy conversations to have, but yeah, there were definitely a few that reached out and were a little displeased with my decision. But I mean, that, that comes with the territory, I guess, with being lucky enough to be recruited by certain schools. Yeah, It's a, it's a dirty business, isn't it? It is. 
You know, Bill, you took me back to a seat in the South game. I think it was our senior year in high school, and you pointed to Scott. You're like that. That kid's going to be something whenever he gets, whenever he gets. I mean, he was already bigger than everybody, but whenever he gets to become a senior, and I was willing to bet that he would have a great career uh, wherever he went to college. And he did go to the University of Pittsburgh, and we're all thankful for that. And speaking of betting. All eyes are back on the gridiron, and as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With the new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests are available. Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website to use your or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your hundred percent welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. That's NFL100, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sports book expert. And Jerry, uh, you know what? Obviously, I played tight end at Pitt, but one of the best atmospheres, one of the best games, one of the best times I ever experienced with football was attending the Clemson game back in 2016. Uh, the atmosphere, like I said, was amazing. Uh, the players were amazing. The game was amazing. But one thing was really amazing. Nine for 128 yards and two touchdowns by Scott Orndorff. That's, ama- that's an amazing stat for not just a tight end, but a tight end going against the number one team in the country at the time. How unbelievable was that to, to, to watch that and, and see all that go down? Uh, I remember uh, that that game. I, 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 that song "Hold That Tiger" was in my in my head for about six weeks after after that. Uh, but I enjoyed the atmosphere immensely. That place got so quiet. It was so noisy during the game, and it got so quiet. And it was Pitt was driving in that last field goal drive. And Scott, you had a big catch, at least one catch in that last field goal drive. Talk a little bit about the the huddle and what, what you guys were talking as as Nathan Peterman was leading you guys, <clears throat> excuse me, down the field for that game winning field goal. <clears throat> Yeah, so that was a game. I mean, we knew that – I mean, our offense was running on all cylinders most of the year, and we knew, you know, we, we would give ourselves a chance to go into it. The defense struggled a little bit more that year at times, but, I mean, as soon as the defense, you know, they gave us the ball back, we're like, listen, guys, we have something. We got something. Like, this is we we this is the best opportunity we're going to get all season to do something great. And, you know, we just had to play our game because there was a couple times earlier in that year, you probably remember, our offense would sputter out in the fourth quarter. And we're like, listen, guys, we can't let that be, you know, we can't let be the same old pit team from earlier in the season. We have to take this opportunity. And we just called plays that have been working for us all year. And it's funny, I remember I, I remember when we were lining up for the field goal and they iced the kicker. They iced, uh, they called the timeout and blew it. And I went over to Jamar Parrish. He, I was a tight end on one side. He was a tight end on the other side on the field goal. I said, man, if if he makes his kick, it's going to be the, like the greatest moment of our lives. If he misses his kick, it's really going to suck. So, <laughs> I mean, we, we had, we had confidence in Chris. Um, and, and I remember as soon as he, when I was, I, they didn't rush my side on the field goal. And as soon as I looked up, I heard the, the foot contact the ball. I looked up and I knew as soon as I saw it in the air, I knew it was good. And I mean, that whole, that whole night, that whole trip was just something I'll never forget for as long as I live. Pitt defense wasn't great that year, uh, but but Salim Brightwell made a big play uh, with a, with an interception at the goal line on Deshaun Watson. 
and he was only a, a, he might have even been a true freshman that year, if I'm not mistaken, or, or a redshirt freshman. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but but that defense came up with big plays at big times, uh, even though it, it wasn't one of Pitt's better defenses, I don't think. No, yeah, that team, I mean, our defense, it was no secret they struggled in the past game um, that that season. But like you said, that game, I mean, they kept us – they they gave us a chance to win that game because our offense, and when we knew, hey, like when our defense was struggling, then we just got to answer back. And there were games where the offense was struggling earlier in my career – I mean, when it, my freshman year when Aaron Donald was there, our offense struggled a lot, and the only reason we even won some of the games was because of our defense. So you know, it, all, it everything kind of comes full circle with that kind of stuff. But that game, of all the games in the year where they were going to make a bunch of plays and give us the ball back, so as many times as they did, our defense came up huge that whole night. Yeah, you guys had two great wins that year. Obviously, Penn State in the beginning of the year, then Clemson to, to close it out. Um, you know, just being, you know, seeing those games and just seeing that offense, which is very ironic that Matt Canada is calling the plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers now. He's calling the players for the Pitt Panthers then. Um, it's ironic that, you know, you had such a, a stellar game. Like I said, nine for 128, two touchdowns. Lucas Kroll, who's the current tight end for the Pitt Panthers, had two touchdowns last week, it won the Mackey Award. Um, for the week was uh, honored by John Mackey, uh, the, the tight end award for this week. So a lot of things going on that, uh, you know, that are trending on the same wavelength, but we're going to head into DePaul's debriefs and Jerry, you were down at the Southside facility this week. You're at Narduzzi's press conference. What's the, what's kind of the vibe um, that you felt from Narduzzi and maybe the uh, aura inside of the uh, facility? Well, a, a couple things. Uh, the, the guys, all, like they always have been after every after every loss. I've covered Pitt for eleven seasons, and after every loss, no matter it was a, a loss against a bad team or loss against a good team, the guys talk a good game. You know, leading up into the next game, like they're not going to let the, the the previous game's defeat uh, linger into and, and cause another defeat the next week. So, luckily for Pitt, they have a. You know, I don't want to say breather, but yeah, it's going to be a breather. They, you know, they can beat New Hampshire, and they can beat New Hampshire badly uh, if they're if they're doing things right, and I think they will. Uh, the one thing I noticed about Narduzzi, and maybe we might have talked about this earlier, but it, it, we, we I asked him a couple of things, you know, about why he didn't punt late in that game, and and and, we, and he said Mark Whipple had a good play call, which almost sounds like he was throwing his offense coordinator under the bus, uh, but also. You know, he he made also made a suggestion, and this is something you guys might remember when you guys played. He made a suggestion he might go up into the box and and call the games, call the defense from the box, like like Wanstead did in two thousand seven, was it when he had the surgery? Uh, you guys were both on a the team then. Uh, no, he, he Wanstead did it for a different reason. He couldn't walk <laughs> down on the field. Narduzzi, now he was only kidding. In fact, we talked to to uh, Randy Bates of DC yesterday, and he said, "Yeah, we haven't talked about that. He was just kidding." But I think Narduzzi wants to look at least become a little bit more involved in the play calling, not just the game planning leading up to the game, but the play calling, you know, on the field, you know, as the game's going on. And, you know, you would think it's his defense, he's going to plays, but he he made a point the same. He wants to be more involved in the play calling and maybe looking over, he didn't say these words, but looking over Randy Bates' shoulder a little bit, which, you know, Randy Bates is a really good guy, you know, a really hard worker. And, uh, you know, I think he, may, he even admitted he made he didn't make adjustments quick enough when they when they played Western Michigan. There were things that were going on that they didn't expect, and they made adjustments, didn't make them quick enough. And by that time, it was too late. They were already underway to scoring uh, 44 points. And the other <clears throat> the other point I wanted to make um, talked to Lucas Kroll today. 
Uh, Lucas Crow, like you said, <clears throat> excuse me, got the John Mackey Award Player of the Week, John Mackey Player of the Week. Uh, he has three touchdown, four touchdown catches this year. One, one in every a three game streak of catching touchdown passes. And <clears throat> I guess the pit record for a tight end is five in a row. And Doran, you hold that record. Is that right? You had t- 2009, you that had a touchdown catch in five consecutive games. Um, and now Lucas has him in three consecutive games. We asked him about today about, uh, well, what do you think about being all ACC? Do you think, you know, you, you might have a chance to, you know, get some recognition, you know, at the, by the end of the season? And he was really good about it. He said, I'm just thinking about W's. It doesn't matter to me one bit. I even said to him, I says, you know, he was at Florida with Kyle Pitts, the number one draft pick at the Atlanta Falcons this year. And I said to him, would you like to maybe one-up Kyle Pitts and, and maybe do a little bit better than he did his, his last year in college? No, 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 no. All I care about is that W, getting that W. It doesn't matter to me. You know, we win the game any way we win. But, um, you know, he's been he's a great weapon. And we talk about, you know, how Pitt is going to do the rest of this season. You know, I, I think they're going to do well the rest of this season. They win maybe eight or nine games, maybe not nine, but maybe eight, because of that offense. Because you because the quarterback Kenny Pickett is playing better than any any pit quarterback has played maybe since Nathan Peterman has played when he played 2016 and five five years ago, and, and they're throwing the ball really well. They're catching really well. These receivers, there's so many of them. There's like four or five guys that that are getting open in the secondary. And I, I think when Pitt's defense is having problems, I think the offense is going to pull them out of the fire several times as we go on later this season. Yeah, and, and winning breeds individual success. You know, if your team's winning, the success of you being, you know, a good player and the stats or whatever, that those will come as long as your team is winning. So, you know, I, I tip my hat to Lucas Kroll as uh, for for his response to that in his in his, in his uh, press conference today. Whenever you were talking to him, because I mean, you know, he he's a guy who, you know, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. I mean, didn't really play that much at Florida. Was behind, you know, and a, a first round pick had to transfer, transfer from Florida to Pitt, um, gets hurt last year and now has his opportunity. So he knows that it takes everybody for him to be um, successful and it but, takes but, his team winning. And by the way, he's a former baseball player and he probably has the best best fastball in Pittsburgh. Probably has a better fastball than anybody <laughs> anybody on the Pirates because <laughs> he, he played small college baseball at school in Missouri, I believe, before he started to play football. Yeah, guys, especially Jerry, I'd, I'd like to go back just a little bit with the uh, with you know Doozy talking about Coach Bates and everything and, and that communication. But we we have to think like when you have an offensive coordinator who or a, a head coach who is a defensive minded coach and very hands on, meaning things need to filter filter through him. That communication should be there nonstop i mean if he's if he's literally you know running his defense meaning narduzzi's defense coach bates is i mean that headset is one button away from communication from up top bates, bates said that today he said we, we communicate all the time between series now narduzzi said on monday when we talked to him well the game's going so fast i'm thinking about the offense i'm thinking about special teams and sometimes the, the defensive calls get away from him and he said, if he, then he said, I think I want to get a little bit closer to that side you know, going forward. And that's when he said, going up into the booth, which would be looking over his DC's shoulder, which would be disastrous. And he's not going to do that. You know, he was just sort of almost making a joke about it. Uh, but yeah, you, you know, he they should have these things worked out. But Western Michigan had them, the, uh, their offense had the, had the defense confused. 
I mean, like, like Tim Lester, the coach, said, I was OC at Syracuse in 2015 when we played Pitt, and they're running the same things now, six years later, that they ran in 2015. He said he watched that the video of that game. Pitt won it, by the way, at the Carrier Dome uh, by a field goal, I believe. But he watched that tape 300 times, and he knew exactly what Pitt's defense was going to do by watching that tape. So, you know, Pat Narduzzi was not coached, you know, by a Mac coach in, in that game, you know. And the funny thing is, in 2017, after Matt Canada left, um, he inter- Narduzzi interviewed Tim Lester for the OC job that eventually went to Sean Watson. And Watson did a news conference last week, and I remember listening to it uh, on his computer. And uh, he said he had a four-hour conversation with Narduzzi you know, in that job interview. It was in January of 2017. And uh, he said the first two, first two hours of the, uh, the interview, we talked about the job. The next two hours, I said to him, hey, do you mind if I pick your brain a little bit about football? And they talked football for the next, next two hours. And I wonder how, many, how, how much he gained from that brain-picking session that he used at, at Heinz Field the other day. Which, Probably a lot. Which are great, great points and literally make my point to where you guys should be communicating even more. Even Absolutely. more, knowing yeah. that he knows the nuts and bolts of our defense back and then, but back then, but Doozy knows that he hasn't changed crap since then. So, Bates, Doozy, you guys need to be communicating. Like, you're getting beat with RPOs. You're getting beat with standardized types of things here that you shouldn't be getting beat by looking like that. Like, the eye test, certain defensive letdowns, you know, guys running into each other. Those things, yes, they happen, but when you run a defense like that, when those things happen, it's six points for the other team. Scott, you played for Narduzzi. You know, what, what's his mindset right now? You know, coming off a loss like that, um, you, you've obviously had success with Narduzzi. You've obviously had some losses, just like every other football player with any other any other team and coach. Um, you know, where, if you had to assess him and evaluate and get into his mind right now, where is he at um, mentally? And, you know, where is he trying to get his team uh, for this, even just this week, not even the rest of the season, but just this week against New Hampshire? Um, I think, first of all, Pitt needs to stop scheduling Mac games at home because it never really ends well. We lost to Akron, then they lost to Ohio, and now Western Michigan. There's probably been more. But, I mean, I, I will say I wouldn't want to be the defense in practice this week. I'm sure it's going to be a tough practice. Um, I mean, watching the game this weekend, like over, of the Kenny Pickett's whole career, this this year I think stands above all the other years. The offense is rolling. They look impressive. The offensive line has flashes. They they get they're inconsistent, but when they when they flash, they're they're like that offense is running. So they know they're going to have that going all year. But I think the defense, I think Bill's right. They they haven't really changed much. And I think part of the reason they struggled with success my senior year was because I mean at least as players, I don't know a lot about defense, but it seemed like the defense that he runs because it was so successful at Michigan State because you know it's a different totally different type of football they play there. It's a more of a run first conference and they had corners. They had these all American corners that were four or five star recruits that could lock down anybody. And when I was a senior, we had Avante Maddox who obviously he's having a great career in the NFL, but he'd be in the perfect position on an Island, but then he'd be going against receivers that are eight, nine inches taller than him. And our safeties are in the box at, you know, nine yards playing run first. And it seemed like in our ACC, it didn't really translate, but it never really seemed to change. So, I mean, I, I do think I, they they have to take the game 
from this week and they need to, I mean, they just need to kind of look at themselves and figure out like, we can't, you can't lose to a Western Michigan team at home and let them score 44 points. So they have to realize that something needs to change. I don't know what, how they're going to adjust going forward, but they have the offense to be a powerful team. I do think I agree with Jerry. I think they could win eight. And if they put it together a streak, they can win nine. They could take the coastal. I still believe that they can win the coastal because the coastal's wide open every year. And with that offense, you know, I have a lot of I have a lot of trust in an offense to really move the ball. So if they can get that defense figured out, even just a little bit more, I mean, even if they could get it to like a bend don't break in a lot of games with the teams with high firepower, I think we would be in a good position come December with when it comes to either conference, you know, championship game or even just good bowl games. Well, we're going to coast right into forty and five with Bill Stahl and Bill. Um, how you know with with your assessment, how is Pitt going to respond? How are they going to keep the focus this week to make sure they keep their eyes on this game against New Hampshire and not, you know, we, we know that they honestly probably aren't going to lose to New Hampshire. If they lose to New Hampshire, then, I mean, it's just. We'll have a great I, show I, next week. I, I think Hinesfield would cave right into the Mon River if, if, <laughs> if, if Pitt lost to New Hampshire. So how does this team stay focused for the rest of the week heading into Saturday against New Hampshire? And are they going to respond? I think we only have one option, Doran, and that is to respond, respond loud and physical. I mean, literally have to take the physicality game, that pit ironworks type of mentality that we had that, you know, that saying back back in our day of we're getting our, our hard hat and our lunch pail and we're going to go whoop the other team's tail. Because, like, teams like this, guys – we have to dominate the physical, the physicality side. And I'm talking offensive line, defensive line, offensive line. You have to establish yourself and let yourself be known to, to this FCS team. Like there are huge differences. And a lot of the differences are size, depth, talent, things like that. But when you play down to a lesser opponent, um, all bets are off. It's anybody's game. I mean, we obviously saw what happened last week, but I, I don't have an exact, you know, reason, rhyme or reason or answer for it uh, to answer to answer your question. But I, I really think it goes to taking some pressure off of Kenny. We, we don't need – Kenny should not be our leading rusher per game and the season. We have a whole running back room by committee – that can run the rock. And I understand we fell behind and, and all that type of stuff. And we had to score points and we're doing that, but I'm saying I I'm so worried. What if we, we, we know what, what's going to happen or we, we knew what did happen versus a very good passing uh, team. And they're not even, you know, a big time type of Virginia, North Carolina, Clemson type of team with those type of, big time playmakers that they spin the rock. They throw it all around. But how we how we make sure this doesn't happen again, I think it has to be a running game. We need to be able to control the clock. And in my opinion, the way that I was able to do that with our offense and our offensive coordinator Frank Signetti Jr., I mean, we established the run game early and often. We got those big guys up front happy because they were destroying people up front. And 
I spoke about it last week. If you can dominate the line of scrimmage with a running game, I'm not saying we need we need to run the ball 50-50 type of stuff. We just need to sometimes have the other team show respect. Show respect that they actually see that we can run the ball. Uh, and during the week, we have to, you know, it's standard stuff, folks on the turnovers, those little things. I understand the, the snap and, you know, Kenny fumble, whatever. I, I know those things aren't going to happen as a regular type of thing, but those things need to be cleaned up. Uh, third down, I think Wednesday, Wednesdays were always our third down day. I think they need to literally forget what they did on third down the first two games and rewatch that third down, fourth down stuff all week and literally critique that down to the needy, nitty gritty of why did we, why were we one of eight on third down? Why couldn't we extend a dr- that drive? Why couldn't we? I mean, one more yard here or there, that extends a drive. That's one more first down, and who knows? We might be in the red zone. We might kick a field goal, and we're good. You know what I mean? Those little details uh, are, are extremely crucial. So I, I guess to answer your question, Doran, I'm looking at the details as far as third down, what what made us get into third or fourth down, and what are the reasons why we couldn't convert. Uh, but I still I'm going to harp on this all year until until we see some changes with the running game. The running game helped helped us so much back in back when we played Dorn, and it really opened up our passing game even more. And we already know Kenny and the offense can pass. Yeah, and Scott, you, you know, it helped you out too. You and Jester Wea were definitely uh, more open because of James Conner and the offensive line that you had, and you know him them establishing the run game whenever you played, um, it, you know, definitely just enhances the offense and makes things easier. Um, you, it, and like Bill said, you don't have to go 50-50, but there needs to be some runs in there where to keep people honest. And Scott, if you could go back, well, not go back, say you're a senior right now, you're coming off of a, a nice Tennessee win down there in a hostile environment, and you come home and you lose to Western Michigan. You're a senior right now. What's your message to your teammates, and what's your what's your approach to uh, heading into this week? Um, I mean, I think I, you have to you have to reevaluate. You have to look at yourselves as a team. You have to decide, you know, what kind of team do we want to be? Because you have you start off you beat UMass and you get a big win, like you said, and then you know you you feel pretty good about yourself, and you come into Western Michigan home game, and uh, then you just. I mean, you, you let them run up and down the field on you and you end up losing that game at home. And you have to say whatever we thought we were, clearly we're, that's not it. We're, we we didn't play like that this week. So then you get a, a game like this against New Hampshire. I mean, you get a, what should be a, another UMass you know type of victory or even bigger. You need to go out there, like Bill said, you need to impose your will on them. And you need to remind them and also remind yourselves, like, listen, there's levels to, you know, the, all these different types of these – like literally the levels of football in the country. And you need to make it known why you're in a power five conference, why you're competitive in a power five conference. And you need to be firing all cylinders of the game. When you go into New Hampshire and from the very first play, you need to let them know that they're in for a long game because the the team that they might've saw in film against Western Michigan is not the same team that's lining up in front of them on that Saturday. Jerry is is Narduzzi going to, is he going to change his ways? Is he going to, uh, Is he going to evolve and, and, and change the ways he's runs his defenses? Well, you know, he's, he's married to that uh, press man coverage with his cornerbacks. And, you know, like, like Scott said, the uh, safeties are in the box, you know, playing the run, you know, first. 
before they do anything else. And he believes in that. He used that Michigan State to a lot of success. He made a lot of money doing it that way. He got the pit job doing that way. He got an ex- extension, contract extension at Pitt doing it that way. I don't think he's going to change. I think, you know, he, you might see your safeties maybe helping out a little bit. This team misses DeMar Hamlin big time, I believe. And, of course, De- DeMar can't play forever. And, and Eric Howard is, is a nice replacement. He's not nearly as good as DeMar Hamlin, and that was a big part of that loss, I thought, the other day was a second secondary just isn't playing up, up to standards right now. Uh, but the big thing, you know, it, with, with if, whether Narduvi changes or not, <clears throat> his defense, you still got to get a running game going. And, 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 Bill, you had NFL running backs you were handed off to it, Deion Lewis and Shady McCoy. And Scott's team had James Conner, another NFL running back. I'm not sure that Vincent Davis and Izzy Abanacanda, you know, maybe they might be a, might someday, but they're not NFL running backs right now. You know, Vincent Davis had that big game against Georgia Tech to end last season, 240-some yards or whatever it was. He needed three games to get just to 103 yards. And, and and maybe it's the offensive line. You know, there's a problem on the offensive line, too. Uh, you know, Owen Drexel got benched the other day, and Narduzzi wouldn't say whether it was for an injury or whether it was for something else. Uh, and then they, they put uh, they put Jay Mood, Jake Cradle from, from guard to uh, to uh, center and put uh, Wilson at, uh, at, at guard. And Wilson at guard and, and Cradle at center isn't as good as, as, as Drexel at center, I believe, and Cradle at guard. Because other than the fact that Drexel was having trouble with the snap, and that gave Western Michigan an easy touchdown. But the running game is the big thing. The defense, I think, will fix itself eventually, especially this week it will. Uh, but but uh, as far as uh, Pitt moving on and winning the ACC Coastal, if they can't run the ball, they're not going to win it. So speaking of another side of change, Jerry, you're obviously talking about the defense and then getting on to getting into the running game if we're going to change, make some changes in that. Doozy said this week about Izzy that, that he's going to get some more touches and, and that he's going to make sure of it. Guys, do we really believe that? Because, I mean, we, Jerry, we, we haven't even seen enough Izzy. We haven't seen enough Izzy if, if, he's, if he, well, he can this is, this is know, the take, week to it, do it. take it to the horn. It, this this is, is, it is. You're right. It is this the week to do it because he can get some momentum going. But it was funny. Last Thursday, we sat down and, and talked to Narduzzi. Uh, and he, we talked about a, a band of Canada, and he said real, real cryptically, he wasn't well on Thursday. He didn't say what that meant. He wasn't well. And then, or Wednesday, Wednesday's practice, I mean. He wasn't well at Wednesday's practice. But Thursday, he was great. And then two days later, when they play the game, he gets one carry for minus one yard. Um, you know, and, and, and Patton never really explained why Izzy didn't, didn't play very much against Western Michigan. Maybe he had some, some kind of physical problem going on and, and, and Narduzzi won't talk about anything like that you can't get him to talk about injuries if a guy is hurt and Scott knows this if, if a guy is hurt you know Pat's going to protect him and, and not usually not talk about it unless you know we uh, you know hold hold his uh, his uh, hand to the fire I tell you what talk. when when coaches don't speak the stats can speak for him Izzy had one carry and it, in the past up. couple ca- yeah. past couple weeks, up. he's had multiple, and he was in the backfield. He was in the passing game, yeah, the uh, and all those training, the beginning of training camp, Bill, and all the hype around. Back. Yeah, he announced yeah. him as the number one back. Yeah, yeah. Before training camp even started, I remember yeah. talking to him in July for a first story I did. Two weeks before training camp started, Izzy is my number one back. In July, he said that, and then he gets to the third game of the season, and he doesn't play. I don't. Yeah, know. I I think you're right, Jerry. There there has to be some. Maybe maybe health. Maybe he had you know. I don't know. Could have been, you know, could have been not going to suspect yeah, yeah. anything, but right. 
I think we could all agree on on this podcast here that some something was going on, and obviously we're not getting that scoop from from Doozy. That's if he's, that's for if he's sure. healthy this week, I think Izzy will get at least ten carries, at least ten. That's Scott, did you did you enjoy blocking as a tight end? Um, <clears throat> I mean, sometimes yeah, <laughs> other times no. I mean, every every single tight end out there, except for maybe the maybe one the one percenters, if they were athletic enough to just run routes all day, they would prefer that, but. If you're like me, you're not a good enough athlete to just strictly become a receiver. So, I mean, there were other times some some plays were easier to block than others. Um, it, when, whenever you did block and you, you knew you beat a guy, you got him how you wanted, it was fun. But most of the time, I'd rather be split out running routes downfield all day. You know what? I was watching the, the Monday night football game. I was watching the Manning cast, and they had Gronk on there, and Gronk was being Gronk. Mm-hmm. I played with Gronk, know him very well. Um, they asked him about blocking. They asked him the same question, do you like blocking? He was just like – he had a great answer. He was like, you know what? Like, he's like, I do like blocking because that sets me up for the passes. He was like, I love mm-hmm. getting it. I love getting in there. He was like, if you look at a lot of my routes, they're always set up off of the run, off of, like, the play action. So, if you look at, like, earlier in the series, I, I run that same play, but I'm staying in and I'm blocking. And then I'll – and then a couple of plays later, they'll call the same play, but I'm going out in the pass, and I'll show that I'm blocking, and then I get out in the pass. He's like, that's why I'm always open. He's like, that's why, like, I, I've caught so many touchdowns and stuff over the years is because my blocking set up my run. And I was just like, you know what? That's that's what the be- one of the best tight ends in the whole entire mm-hmm. world lifetime would say because that that is so true. It is very true. And, uh, you know, like you said – you know, nowadays guys aren't really required to block, but you know, I feel like if you want to beef up and or not beef up, but nut up and get in there and, and hit somebody, it will help you out in the passing game. Yeah, I mean that's what the thing tight ends, tight end coaches coming out of college are like, listen, we like we just want guys that are willing to just throw it in there, even if their technique is terrible. We want guys that they not even a reckless band. We just want to show that what you have the willingness to try to block. Because they said increasing every year now, more and more tight ends, like they just, they'll fly out say, I don't really block. I'm just more of a, a pass catcher that lines up off the wing or split out sometimes. So, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, when I was going into my ju- my junior year, I was more of just a red zone. I had, a, I had five touchdowns because I was just a red zone third down guy. And um, so I came in a lot of obvious passing situations. But once JP Holtz left after my junior year, I said, listen, in spring ball, I said, I got to learn how to block, like, for real now because I want to be that guy who's out there every single play and every personnel set. So I that was a, my point of emphasis going into spring ball and then further into camp was I, like, I just have to let it go and just I, I got to learn how to do this if I want to become the, the guy that they can rely on. And I think, you know, going into spring ball and camp, you know, I, I think that mindset helped me out a lot and really helped me progress as a more complete tight end going into my senior year. Yeah, guys, I I'm, like, cheesing from ear to from ear to ear right now you know talking about these hybrid you know tight ends and guys that being able to do a little bit of everything and and what, what I want to make a point of from an offensive coach's standpoint like an offensive coordinator and, and a quarterback if I know that Doran Dickerson and Scotty are going to be they they can run power they can cut off the backside on, on zones and everything that means you guys can be in multiple personnel groupings. And my goodness, we made our money on literally Doran was Doran. It looked like we were in the same personnel group, regular personnel group, but we were in a tiger type of uh, personnel group, meaning two tight ends, one receiver, 
two running backs, but Dorn was on the field. We showed that he could block front side, backside, but we also were able to have him in the backfield slot receiver. And I'm making the point about personnel groupings. And for the people listening, uh, when you're in, when the defense sees a pers- certain personnel grouping on on uh, coming on the field, they send theirs to match that. But if you have someone who can block, run, and catch, and now we're shifting, we're we're running them across the formation before we snap the play, we're doing all these types of things that creates mismatches, and that is what you saw in 2009 with Doran Diggerson and Scott Orndorff and. 2013, 14, 15, 16, and that's what we're seeing with uh, Kroll as well. I mean, these are mismatches. All, all, all the tight ends I talked about right now can block. They can all catch, but they understand being on the field is a crucial, crucial just step as far as the success of the offense. And it doesn't mean – who cares if you're at the actual tight end position, but if you have – multiple guys on the field and hybrid guys who could do everything my goodness and the stats are, are gonna obviously uh prove itself and and we see that now with with Kroll yeah I used to get excited to uh block guys but not excited not as not as excited as this our podcast is partnering with playactionpolls.com this season to bring interactive fun to the sport we love most You'll be able to get in on the action with our PlayActionPolls.com football pick'em challenge, which is open to everyone. Here's how it works. Sign up for our contest, Believe Football Pick'em at PlayActionPolls.com, and then get your picks in each week. We're going, we're going to select the 10 highest profile games of the week between NFL and college football. Whoever gets the most picks correct each week will win a pair of electric sunglasses and a pair of DC shoes. Again, go to playactionpools.com and sign up for the contest. Believe, B-L-E-A-V, football, pick them. And if you plan on hosting your own football contest, go to playactionpools.com today. They've got your survivor pick them as well as a cool sportsbook style concept called Build Your Bankroll. Playactionpools.com, your home for all your office sports polls all right guys well we'll go around the horn real quick uh scott we'll start with you give us one thing that Pitt has to do saturday to get out of the uh game with a win against new hampshire um i think they're all they got to get their offensive line going um you know they were earlier on in the tennessee game they were kind of it seemed like it was gonna be a long day because every single play to Tennessee's defensive line was it seemed like they were in the backfield and then once they got clicking you know they you could tell in the second half that every time they were coming in the line you know they were they were moving the line of scrimmage on Tennessee's D linemen so I think they need to get their O line going and I think their defense needs to get some plays secondary maybe get some turnovers some picks or some fumble recoveries you know try to get that that energy back that they need on defense because I mean defense you can tell just by watching how much they feed off the energy from the game. So I think they're get some turnovers on defense and just get that offensive line back going the way they were against Tennessee. And I think that'll get them at least back on track to get the season the way, you know, they want it to. Jerry uh, show up. How's that? Uh, Narduzzi would hate it. If I would he'd hear me say that and it's not, and I'm just being facetious. They need to do more than show up, uh, but they're going to win the game. 
But like you were, you said, one of the, in my first podcast, Doran, you said not only do they have to show up and win games, they have to show up and dominate. And the only way to dominate is to get your, your balanced offense going. The defense will be fine, I believe, especially this week. Uh, maybe even next week against Georgia Tech. But they got to be able to run the ball. They got to get Vincent Davis going. They got to get Izzy going. And they got to, you know, get, get that offensive line. They were talking this week about getting the hat on a hat. And, you know, it's so, so basic. You know, just block the guy in front of you, drive him off the ball. And they weren't doing that. Now, they should be able to do that against, against New Hampshire because they're going to just beat them up athletically. Uh, but they're not going to be able to do anything in the ACC Coastal once the conference games get started next week unless they're running the football. And, and I think what they're going to do is try to set that tone early in the New Hampshire game, carry it through for the rest of the game, win something like 40-3, to three, and uh, hopefully that will uh, lay the foundation you know, for, for a decent uh, uh, last three quarters of the season. Bill? The one thing they, they need to do is just be physical. I, I think being over physical is going to have to be is, is going to turn into dominating. And I, these are the teams that you have to dominate, or else we're we're still going to be that you know oh crap type of thing. And here comes another shootout. That's we can't have that. We can't have it two weeks in a row. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but I think being physical and overly physical up front so we dominate it has to be the physicality aspect yeah i'm gonna go with uh you got to get out of this game clean you can't be injured you got to get out of this game injury free uh because if you know where you're at mentally where you're at physically in some positions you, you can't afford uh, a terrible injury than heading into acc play um, and also be disciplined. You know, you don't want a sloppy game. You know you're probably going to go in there, even though coming off of last week, I, we, we get that. We've harped on it enough, so, you know, it's time to move on. Um, we know that they're going to take care of business against New Hampshire, um, but it, you, it can't be sloppy. Like, you, you can't have penalties. You have to have a clean game. If you have a clean game, you can head into, like I said, ACC play uh, the following week and, you know, have a clear mind and know where you're at as a team and your identity. All right, real quick before we end the show, Scott, I need a score prediction for Saturday's game. I'm going to go 38-6, Pitt wins. Bill? I'm going a little bit less of a score because I'm, I'm trying to believe they're going to work on some running game and just control that clock a little bit. So I'm going to go like 27-14, Pitt. Jerry? Jerry? That would the fans would be real upset if yeah, if, 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 if that's the score, then you might be right though. You might be right, but they're not going to like it. I'll I'll say uh, uh, thirty-five seven. I I think they're going to run the ball and they're not going to go crazy. Pickett said he wants to score fifty points a game. Uh, he's not going to score fifty points every week, and certainly, you know, once the season ACC season starts, he won't. But thirty-five seven, as long as they're like like Doran says, clean and they and they get somebody gaining a hundred yards. Or you know one of those two backs in 100 yards. Not Kenny. No matter, yeah, not Kenny because he's the leading rusher right now. Uh, as long as you get one of those guys get, gaining 100 yards, it won't matter what the score is, as long as they can win the game and win decisively. And I'm going to go 34 to 10, pit over New Hampshire. Um, I think they get back on track. Like I said, play a clean game, get the running game established, and you know we'll see what happens from from uh, here on out. Scott, we really appreciate you taking the time, man, joining us. Uh, we're real proud of you, hometown guy. Uh, you know, serving the community of West Allegheny, uh, Seton LaSalle, Pitt, you know, just uh, it's unbelievable uh, how, how far you've come and all the different journeys that you've had this far. And it's just going to keep going for you, man. So we really appreciate you. Um, I'm Doran Dickerson for Bill Stahl, Jerry DePaula. 
That's it for the Believe in Pitt football podcast presented by Bet Online. Pitt versus New Hampshire this coming Saturday, 12 p.m. at Hinesville. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.